The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We already had Nick Ferrari with us on the programme talking about the latest revelations today now that there's going to be a Metropolitan Police investigation into an allegation made against Russell Brand from 2003, which is not a time covered in the remarkable Channel 4 documentary that was broadcast at the weekend in conjunction with the Sunday Times and Times newspapers, which had a lengthy investigation and brought forward the allegations of at least four women and more women have come forward since. Elaine Burke, you've had a look at In Plain Sight, as the documentary was called. What did you think of it when you watched it? It's a very tough watch. Like they don't really pull any punches and they start in pretty graphic with the descriptions of uh, the allegations against Russell Brand. Uh, so for anyone any sensitivities, like it's not really recommended viewing for them. But it is what it is. What is quite surprising is there's things on the record. I think about Russell Brand's behaviour that are you know pretty clear cut that aren't to be investigated like things that he said on air in his radio Hence broadcast. Why it's called in plain sight. Exactly uh, on. I'd never listened to his radio show, um, but on air he said very lascivious comments about a newsreader and apparently repeatedly did this about this specific newsreader. Whether she was okay with it or not, these comments are not okay. They're not okay in a workplace. It's it's patently inappropriate workplace behaviour. So at the very least, there is a cause there for concern about the leniency that he was given but in that kind of behaviour. But he was indulged in such outrageous behaviour as if just because it got ratings and because he apparently had a degree of popularity, such behaviour was acceptable. And it seemed to be that he was just constantly successful on the back of bad behaviour, which is very questionable as well. And and the, the reason he was eventually fired from the BBC was because of a phone call to Andrew Sachs. And that was about Andrew Sachs's granddaughter and some horrible comments being made about her but the anger seemed to be because of his treatment of Andrew Sachs and not the woman in question, which is another thing that was called into question at the time. I remember that vividly at the time. But in retrospect, when you see that these other things were going on on this show, because I'd never heard anything about the show up until the Andrew Sachs controversy, it really speaks to this culture at these broadcasters, because this is BBC and Channel 4, have released statements saying, like, that was then, things are different now. But it's not that long ago. And you have to wonder, like, how different are things now? Are things still going on in silence? Do people feel comfortable that things that they say will be taken seriously? I don't know how apparent that is. Joe Shea, he maintains that all of his sexual relationships were consensual despite the allegations that were made against him. But does this have the potential for the BBC and others to be almost the 21st century Jimmy Savile? Um, I'm not sure so much for the BBC as, he, you know, he left the BBC a while ago. He's main popularity and his main source of income and his notoriety these days are two things and that's his social media presence where he, you know, he styles himself as this wellness and lifestyle guru. But really, he's sort of like, you know, this fairly hardcore conspiracy theorist, deep state, anti-science, anti-vax, all of that stuff, very much in that world. So one of the interesting things for me now is why aren't YouTube and Google, who own YouTube, why aren't they getting more heat? Because he has six million viewers on YouTube. And, you know, if if it does turn out that he is, you know, we have the Met Police investigating now and there are bound, as we know from previous cases like this, there are bound to be more people coming forward. What happens then? Because he's not employed by the BBC or Channel 4 anymore. And Channel 4 did a very good job, along with the Times, of exposing, you know, finally kind of, you know, bringing these accusations to light. So what happens to, to his relationship with Google? 
and with YouTube. And we actually just before we came, just before I came on here with you, the first of he's in the middle of a sellout show, by the way, stand up show or a personal appearance show across the UK. Uh, his next show has been cancelled by the Royal Theatre in Windsor, and you'd expect that the other theatres are not going to follow with that. Yeah, it's an interesting point you raise about Google and YouTube because clearly he's in the middle of his latest grift. He's an incredibly talented individual for spotting an opportunity where he can get audiences and make money on the back of it. And other things will appear as well because, Joe, the allegation is that he has used his position and his power to manipulate because it's not just rape and sexual assault he's accused of. In addition, it's coercive control, taking advantage of his fame. I think... You know, you, you get a lot of people saying like, oh, I never liked him anyway. I could never stand the guy. And, you know, we, there was that famous moment when uh, Bob Geldof uh, absolutely uh, nailed him in front of, a, you know, on live TV in front of an audience, which is extraordinary. And it's been all over social media now when, when he went on stage to get, you know, introduced by Brand and absolutely, you know, called, called him out in the strongest way possible. But I think Brand is an arch manipulator. And I think that's been part of his stick and part of his grip from the very start. I don't see, I, uh, you know, as a stand-up comedian, was he ever any good? As a presenter, was he ever any good? Did he have, ever have anything other, other than a brash, arrogant self-belief, absolutely prepared to just, you know, rip up any kind of, you know, uh, social mores and go for it? That's what he's doing now with his YouTube thing because, you know, he was, he was never cancelled. You know, he just went out, of, he went out of fashion. He went out of favour. He had his moment in Hollywood that didn't work out for him. And he pivoted towards a very secure revenue stream, which is peddling conspiracy theories on, on social media. So I, I think even that grift now could be denied to him if the investigations throw up actual, you know, something that he could be found guilty of. Of course, Elaine, as well as being our TV and streaming reviewer, you have a career as a tech journalist. And Elon Musk is one of those who has come to his defence. Another is that obnoxious individual, Andrew Tate, who is facing his own charges for similar circumstances to this. Uh, But what does it say about the fact that he has developed such an enormous online support group 13 million viewers, it seems, across Google, YouTube and whatever, and that many of them are now jumping to his defence, saying that this is a deliberate takedown by the mainstream media, which is effectively uh, trying to make liars of the women who've come forward with their stories. It's it's kind of fading into a narrative that he has already bought into with this anti-mainstream mouthpiece persona that he now uh, takes part in. This was never going to be a documentary to try and take Russell Brand down because, as Joe mentioned, he kind of isn't relevant in mainstream media anymore. He is only courting an audience in this anti-mainstream um, area, which is very lucrative. And we've seen people literally make millions off of doing this. But I don't think that that was the intention of this investigation. I think it was the intention of outing um, this really problematic behaviour that went on and uh, was basically um, calling into question like the organisations that, may have allowed that to happen. So that's what this investigation was about. It's now fuel for the fire for those fans of uh, Russell Brand and this whole anti-mainstream culture. Um, And the likes of Elon Musk supporting him is really problematic because he has a platform that if, as Joe said, he gets taken down from YouTube or whatever, I mean, Elon Musk has already been quite welcoming to inviting people to X, uh, formerly Twitter, that have been cancelled, and I say that with air quotes, on other platforms for them to get an audience on X. 
So if he's already touting support for Russell Brand and plenty of his fans were touting support from even before they had seen the investigation or the documentary saying like everything that they say is lies before they've even seen what these people had to say. Trying to make Russell Brand out to be the victim instead of the real victims. And it's what has happened with fans of Andrew Tate. They've called uh, the uh, investigations against him a witch hunt. They've called investigations against Donald Trump where, uh, you know, he was actually legally found guilty. Uh, Still, it's seen as a witch hunt by certain people uh, who are courted by these provocateurs because they know that they can exploit them and that they, can, they can make money off of them, they can create a platform for them and a platform that is less beholden to regulation than the mainstream media and that is those online platforms. OK, let's move on and let's talk a little bit about the first Late Late Show presented by Patrick Keelty which had an average audience of 830,000 which is a very big number for the Late Late Show which I'm sure RT are going to be absolutely delighted with. But the big question, Joe, is going to be what audience will they get next Friday and the Friday after? What does, Joe, what does uh, Patrick Keelty have to do to keep that audience? Well, he's, he's, he's not going to keep that audience because there's no, there's no man alive could keep that audience because that was the whole of Ireland tuning in to see what it was like and what he did and also to see what would he say about Tuberty and what, would the show be different? And listen, great, well done to him because I think he would have walked off that set on Friday night and gone, right, sigh of relief, managed, you know, did the show, nothing went wrong, it was pretty good. Uh, the guests were fine. There was nothing really surprising. He did the monologue as we'd expect at the start to break the ice and make jokes about flip-flops and make jokes about Joe Duffy and primetime. And isn't it great that we're not on primetime? We're actually on on Friday nights and all this kind of stuff. So, But sorry, you know, hold on a second. Was that actually fair to Ryan Tuberty? Given that, yeah, Ryan mm-hmm. Tuberty is the sacrificial lamb of a scandal that actually involves RTE management, none of whom have paid a price like the Ryan Tuberty. Where were the jokes about the people who remain in RTE who were responsible? That's a very good point, Matt. But the thing is, it's it's uh, it's not show friends. And the thing <laughs> that it was the show business, and it was very much RTE and Keelty as well, very much in the business of putting Tuberty in the past drawing that line and we're moving on. And you're right, it's unfair because, you know, there's still there, there's still a lot to be said about what went down with RT and it was a lot more than Ryan Tuberty. But this was very much, you know, we are moving forward now. Uh, you could hear the sigh of relief in Montrose as well. He did a good job. The guests were not surprising, but they were solid. I thought the best was James McLean at the end. I thought he was really, really interesting. I'd love to hear more from that guy. The rest of them we knew very well, podcasters and Tommy Tiernan and faces from RT. So he's not going to hold on to the audience. It was a massive audience, almost up there with what the, uh, the, the, the rugby live audience for Ireland versus Tonga, which is huge. As we know, sport will always get these massive audiences. So what he has to do now is keep going. The interesting thing for me is that it seems that Late Late has kind of given up on, finally kind of giving up on being the the town hall for Ireland. It's settling down into becoming a a light entertainment chat show on a Friday night on a relatively small station in a small market. And, and, you know, that's inevitably what it's going to be anyway in the future. So they're going to embrace it. Elaine, what did you think? I think... He was very warmly received and I think it was probably a great sigh of relief for people in RT and I'm not talking about those higher ups uh, who've had a grilling but like those people who've been working hard behind the scenes they got a good night out of Friday night because it was a lovely warm reception for the show for Patrick Keelty for James McLean it was nice to see him trending on Twitter for positive reasons uh, for once and it was a safe pair of hands it's what we were expecting when we talked about it last week 
there was no surprises, but there were moments of delight, I think, that really touched people, like having the archival audio of Gay Byrne introducing Patrick Keelty. Um, a lovely moment where uh, Mary McAleese referred to his father and you could just see a pause come over uh, Patrick Keelty's face and he didn't really respond to that. He probably couldn't find the words. Um, there were some lovely moments in it. Nothing spectacular. And I think that's quite comforting. But could it be, though, that he's too good for the show that you meant that you they have a very competent capable broadcaster who could do this in other places but if they don't give him the guests and if they don't go beyond the RT canteen people will start losing interest in it and despite his best efforts he won't be given the material he needs. Well that's the real challenge that he has ahead. So he's got the difficult second album which will be the second episode where the curiosity will have melted away and uh, maybe it'll just be the diehard fans that tune in or if he has good enough guests because I'm actually part of that that cohort where I've only really tuned in historically to Late Late Show when I know they've got a guest on that I'm quite interested in hearing from and it's a long time since I did that because they tend to get guests that I've seen at other places do things or it's just someone promoting something that I'm already quite familiar with. So that would be really interesting. I think Patrick Keelty maybe will attract new guests because he's new blood and he maybe has new connections, uh, you know, well, through the his Hollywood long Hollywood writer's strike won't help either though, will That's it? going to be a real challenge. Now, that's going to be a challenge for everyone across the board. Talk shows yeah. everywhere are going to struggle because but, they can't broadcast people promoting Matt, films. Matt, we've, very inter- we've loads of interesting people on this island and I'd love to see Patrick Keely sit down with the likes of Kneecap, you know, that, that kind of rap oh, trio yes. from Belfast that I can't claim to be to know very well. But I think the conversation between them as much you know, younger guys from the north and from a different kind of, you know, I'd say, background than him and also belief system than him, I think that would be fascinating. There's loads of people like them out there and we can find them in Ireland, but we just got to, yeah, we've got to look beyond the RT canteen. Okay, picks of the week. What are you going for, Elaine? Uh, I'm going for The Supermodels, which is coming to Apple TV Plus from Wednesday. Now, I was sceptical about this because it does look very glossy. It's about the the four key supermodels from the 90s. Linda Evangelista, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, Christy Turrington. They're all doing um, talking head interviews. They're all very well styled out. And from the trailer, it did look like it wasn't going to go too much into the underbelly of that industry uh, how the 90s kind of created this toxic obsession with thinness through this supermodel fandom but according to reviews it doesn't shy away from that coverage so I'm kind of watching it with the curiosity of how they tackle that side of it Okay, what's your pick of the week Joe? Um, Chris Packham, you know, the TV environmentalist who's always seems to be in the news. He's got a show on Channel 4 on Wednesday at 9pm called Is It Time to Break the Law? And this is very interesting to me, very fascinating because I'm starting to wonder when are we going to see real direct action and I'm in no way calling it for by the way but but kind of like for want of a better term eco-terrorists are people actually really seriously breaking the law to kind of protect the planet so to speak and that's the question that he's going to look at he's not really looking at eco-terrorism he's going to look at you know the the, the likes of climate uh, rebellion uh, climate extinction and 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 actually the guys you were talking about earlier uh, climate pillar those people who are trying to ring the alarm bells and is it would it be right for them to break the law to save the planet. I think it's a fascinating ethical question. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. There were other things I wanted to get to, but unfortunately we're out of time. Joe Shea, Elaine Burke, thank you both very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.